Yeah, so oh, so then you can in, say your name. Oh, you, maybe you can say. I can say your name. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, I'm Raz Shuti. And I'm Yael Schweigo. And this is Techpon Charlie. Kick it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right. Good morning, Raz. Good morning, Yael. And good morning, Charles. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> How are we today? Good. Good. Sun is out, spring is coming. Yeah, it's going to be 17 degrees today. We yes. should go out. I know. Somehow we always record when it's like nice yeah, outside. That's true. I don't know why. Anyhow, yeah. Charles, who are you? Um, hi, so I'm Charles Amadzadi from The Last Name. You don't need to remember it. Uh, <laughs> I work at Bunch AI. I'm co-founder there. And essentially what we do at Bunch AI, we're sort of the intersection between research in psychology and organizational behavior and machine learning. So we try to bring what's been in the research papers for more than 20 years now to the market through products that are easier to use and also trying to translate like complex psychological concepts to things mm -hmm. that people can relate to. Uh, so it's quite challenging, it's quite fun. Uh, and I guess uh, that could be relevant for today's topic. Yeah. Which is? Culture. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And, what, and specifically, what is organizational culture anyway? Maybe before we even start with the topic, just kind of... Charles, how do we know each other? Uh, well, I moved to Berlin um, maybe three years ago, something like this. And um, I joined a company. Um, not sure if the name is relevant, but this is basically where I met Raz. Uh, and we spent five months together, and then unfortunately <laughs> the company shut down. Uh, and <laughs> then we stayed in touch, and I think we crossed paths recently in the tram, yeah. realizing we now go to the same direction because we moved office recently. Uh, and then Raz started to tell me about the, the podcast, and I was super excited. So, yeah. And you're with your, uh, you co-founded the company how long ago? Uh, co-founded the company, so I joined about two and a half years ago and became co-founder about two years ago. It's a complex story. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, maybe this is for an another time, but it's always interesting yes. to, to, to kind of hear how these things come about to being like to founding a company. It's yes, really I, I actually met the founder of that company when I was coming to Germany and did not join yet because I thought the company I would join where. Uh, I met Raz was actually safer. Yeah. Uh, turned that wrong. <laughs> that was a lesson. I remember that story, actually. I remember that you told me that, that you kind of had like uh, the less safe route, but yeah. you kind of chose the, the safer one yeah. five months later. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? Out of job. A any place I go to ends up being shut down, just oh, FYI. No, no, no. Don't so say that to people. <laughs> the, the founder uh, actually was uh, rejoicing when they saw the news in Grundesin that we shut down because they wanted to hire me. And they said, oh, now he's going to be available. That's yeah, awesome. Very cool. <laughs> All right, so actually we've been talking about culture here and there and not really expanding on the topic yeah. in any other episode, and that's because we have the saying. You want to... that culture? Culture? It's... Oh, it's you, not my saying. Well, you say it <laughs> Charles, all the time. Charles, well, Charles basically... Quoted someone who said it. Yeah, quoted someone who said it on my blog <laughs> and about a, like I think I wrote about hiring or something, and yeah. actually he he wrote it. So I'll let Charles actually quote and actually say yeah, who so it's I from. Yeah, so I think the 
I think the the blog post you wrote was about culture ad uh, versus culture feed. Like yeah. you mentioned some of these topics. And so there's a, a quote that goes around, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, and I think that pretty much sums up what um, organizational culture is mm-hmm. and why it's relevant for today's uh, um, organizations because everything is changing so fast. And the organizations that were functioning 30 years ago cannot function the same today because the world is more agile. Millennials have very different expectations. And so we need to adjust the way we work and the way we manage the organizations that we build. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why this topic is becoming more and more relevant these days, uh, which is, I think, something we've seen. We've been working on it for more than three years. And whenever we go um, to conferences to the U.S. or even to meetups, we see a lot more awareness about people about uh, the different aspects around this topic. Um, so it's definitely trending uh, and becoming a major concern for a lot of companies now. Yeah, and, and for me at least, so this is maybe m- my most anticipated episode thus far. Yeah. Uh, as a manager, I think, like as a, as a person who believes in lean management, like that's that's what I want to do always, like to find the good mix of people that are super, like can work together, facilitate conversations, and then let the smart people do what they do. And me as the dumb manager, all I need to just make sure things are running smoothly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm... I'm Super yeah. excited about this discussion. I'm actually really uh, excited to be explain about the topic because it is something that's so like you have to go in depth to actually understand. But we we try to keep uh, things simple here so everyone can understand. Yeah. Uh, but to me, in my day to day at different companies, what I I used to see is that uh, conflict between making a strategy and well trying at least to communicate it and make people. Um, you know, have a buy-in for that and, like, work according to that, moving in the same direction. But then you see, well, from my perspective, culture is, I guess, the personalities that people bring into the company and how it affects it. And, Mm -hmm. like, that conflict between you're trying to go in one direction, but uh, people dictate, I guess, another direction in their behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So maybe let's start with actually asking what is culture. Yeah. Let's dive right. Like yeah. dive yeah, right you, in. You kind of brought it up already, like wh- from more scientific way, not just gut feeling. Yeah. So, so so culture. Often when people refer to it, the only way to uh, kind of explain what it is is to come up with anecdotes or talk about behaviors uh, that people had in specific situations. Um, however, there's a lot of science going on uh, uh, in the field of psychology, and there's been a lot of research on white papers uh, and even different models to try to pinpoint and represent culture in a way that's universal. Um, and so I think the, the one we work a lot with uh, at Bunch and that we base a lot of what we do is uh, made by Charles O'Reilly from Stanford. And basically this model uh, represents culture, organizational culture, based on six norms, uh, which are uh, things like adaptability, customer orientation, detail orientation, collaboration, uh, focus on principles and uh, um, doing the right thing, integrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the last one is result orientation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think when you look at different tech companies, uh, you can see that each of them has a very specific focus on uh, usually one of these norms that really comes out. and so part of the research that was made by uh, Charles O'Reilly's team um, is that organizations that are the most successful are usually focused on one norm. Uh, 
and that norm is the most critical one for them to execute their strategy. Uh, and the organizations that succeed in aligning behavior uh, around this norm that support the strategy are the most successful ones. Really? Uh, so out of six? Out of six. So uh, we can take a couple examples. Yeah. Um, Netflix is very result-oriented. They're going against Hollywood. They need to hit numbers hard, go fast, and deliver content. Um, whereas companies like Amazon are very customer-oriented. They do everything they can so that when you realize that you want to buy something, you get it as fast as you can without any problem. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't arrive or if it doesn't work, you can send it back. Their focus is on you having a good experience as a customer so that you keep buying from them. Yeah. Uh, and then there's other companies like um, Facebook and Google who are very adaptable. Uh, they change all the time. The market is evolving. Their products, like if you look at the, how Facebook started, and what they are doing now, they went through a massive amount of changes in their organization, in the strategy. So they need to keep that change going and they need everyone to be able to uh, realize quickly, oh, so now we're not doing uh, a social platform, we're doing advertising. Uh, so things change very very fast, very, very often. Yeah. Um, and then you have other companies like Airbnb where they need to get a lot of trust, so they need to be customer-oriented, but what they also need is you to trust them to do the right thing hmm. because you're giving your keys to some random stranger True. and you want to make sure that if something happens to your flat or your house, Airbnb will, got you, will get your back and will do the right thing. So they need to build a lot of trust. Yeah, these and, are a really good examples yeah, in a differentiate it's between... It's ones we usually work with uh, and bring up to illustrate like what does it mean to be focused on one norm and why these need to be different based on your strategy or even industry. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, at least from my experience, I can really relate to that because like in Netflix, so they just release, I mean, they also bring out movies and TV shows and stuff, yeah. but they also make ones and they make like good ones, but also let's admit it, like shitty ones, but they just <laughs> go by numbers. <laughs> well, to see what happens, right? And to get the results there, yeah. to, to, to have as much as yeah. content as they can. And with Amazon, when they change something about the, the delivery, so if you want to deliver something back, and now you have to pay a couple of euros for some items uh, above some uh, range. And I, as a customer, I felt that I was like, huh, that's a, like a really different approach. Like I'm used to be at the center and do what I want, basically. And that's yeah. why I interact with them that much. And those things really differ. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because it really hits the point, and yeah. we also used Airbnb as as hosts, but also as like we went to other apartments, and the the idea of trust is, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it really demonstrated well. I think that's that's maybe the biggest the biggest problem of all those other companies that are trying to be Airbnb, or at least that's how it feels like companies that are uh, let's not name names, but that the trust is not built because Airbnb is there for a while and they actually yeah. just made this effort to create a trusting system for the hosts, for guests. And maybe, yeah, I guess it's maybe similar with Uber as well, right? Yeah, it's similar. I mean, if you look at Uber, so they went through uh, executive changes recently. Um, but if you look at one of the first things the new CEO did, he's laid out the core values that Uber should live by. And if you look at these values, they relate to the six norms that... Uh, that I quoted, you will see inside that they do the right thing and they focus on customers uh, doing right with the city's regulations and so on. So he really aligned the company on what we need to do to survive and change these mm -hmm. uh, difficult times is going to be 
integrity in principles and uh, being customer focused. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a reason for that. Charles O'Reilly has been working with a lot of tech companies, um, whether it's Apple, Intel, uh, all the big tech companies in the in the valley. Yeah. He's been working with them, and the way he built the model is he essentially with his team took the uh, you know the surveys you do once or twice a year that ask about how you feel and engagement surveys and they basically took all the questions and boiled it down to six core concepts and the reason was these tech companies wanted to be able to compare their culture with one another and they all had internal models on how to measure things but they could not see how adaptable are we compared to x are they better than us because these tech companies realized much earlier that this is their uh, competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. If they get culture better than the others, then they will come out winning. So it's basically a strate strategical decision from the get-go that you want to build your organization with specific type of people? Or like Well, maybe it's the culture? assessment even in the beginning to know or and set the direction. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a question it, it's tricky. I think one of the hardest thing about culture, it, I mean, it's the same with a lot of things, but when you start from scratch, it's rather easy. But yeah. if you have a company, you cannot just fire everyone and rehire the ones <laughs> that fit your culture. Yeah, so exactly. uh, the biggest challenge around culture is actually the, uh, the change management that goes around it. And it's a very tricky one because there's always a line between personality and work behavior, uh, which is one of the reasons we stay away from everything that is... Um, Myers-Briggs, uh, the big five, you know, being introvert or extrovert. Yeah. Uh, because from a psychological perspective, these things are not correlated to how you work. Yeah. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert will not make you a better developer, for example. You Interesting. Will, that, that, that will not influence uh, your ability to deliver something uh, mm -hmm. all that much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe before we go uh, even further deep into that, it's uh, a question that if I'm listening to this, I would say, why should I even uh, bother knowing about this? Isn't it for my manager to know? Uh, or I would even say, like, some people are hearing and saying, you know, uh, yeah, my, like, we made values, but no one lives according to them, or they're all around, or we're not focused around one thing. So these things happen very often, right? Yeah, they happen very often. And I think um, what, what often happens with values uh, uh, in some organizations is, there are not really values in the technical, psychological term of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you try to define culture, there's mostly two things that come up. Um, one thing is norms, and the other one is values. Norms is belief that you have about, uh, established belief that you have. They are usually static, and they don't change all that much. Like, for example, the norm is to walk on your feet and not on your hands. That's a pretty standard thing, and mm -hmm. people don't necessarily question it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we... They basically make everything in our life standard. And, uh, you know, the norm is to eat one or twice a day uh, and drink water regularly. Like, these are things we, we live by. And then values are more something we believe in. Uh, for example, I believe that diversity and inclusion is very important in organizations. Mm -hmm. That's something you can challenge, and that's not necessarily shared by everyone. Mm -hmm. um, What's a norm in a company? So, like, uh, just as an example. Uh, a norm in a company is that, uh, for example, you usually need to uh, uh, work um, to help the company achieve something, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, not in your own interest. Mm -hmm. That's not something you usually uh, believe or challenge. 
Right. Um, yeah, so you come to do the work for someone else's yes. uh, results or goals. Yeah. Okay. And so, so when, when usually you have values, what this means, because values can be challenged, it usually means uh, they have an opposite. So, for example, if one of the company's ba values is be smart, the opposite wouldn't really hold. Yeah. You couldn't really have a company that says don't be smart. Uh, whereas um, you could have a value in the company that is... Uh, Focus on the details. Mm -hmm. That is something you can challenge. You can say, keep the big picture in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether you're, uh, for example, a healthcare company building medical devices, then you want to be very detailed because you have patient's life at hand. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're doing consulting, for example, you might want to be, uh, depending on your role in the consulting and which customers you work with, you might want to be like, big picture to yep. uh, help on strategical things. Okay. And is this something that only comes from management and strategy or also from employees challenging? Oh, you stole my question. Oh, really? Oh. I'm sorry. You want to ask it <laughs> no, now? No, no. Go, no, go ahead. ahead. I ask like it. it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, it's basically the question whether values should be uh, or can be a bottom-up thing or a top-down thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a it's really, really tricky one that we've also been trying to figure out uh, at Bunch. Um the the challenge we we had when we went with the bottom up approach is that in a lot of companies when they need to define values uh, the ones that feel the pain the most are the ones with the most problems and usually that goes along with uh things like not having psychological safety or uh, employees not trusting management above their direct mm -hmm. layer of management or even okay. their uh, direct management layer can you just explain quickly what's psychology safety? Uh, psychological safety, yeah, it's a concept um, not necessarily related to culture, but that plays a big part in uh, performance of teams. Mm -hmm. And it's basically being able to trust um, uh, the people you work with, whether it's your direct colleagues or management. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes along with the five dysfunctions of your team, uh, mm -hmm. if uh, uh -huh. some of you have read the book. But it's basically you need to have trust in order to have challenges and conflicts. Yes. Uh, and then that's when you take risk. And when you take risk is usually when you have uh, uh, opportunities that you don't miss and where you yes. get the most value out of your okay. work. So psychological safety plays a big part of it. Yes. Uh, right. And if you don't have that, you would not even challenge the norms? Or even, yeah, you, you would, like, but quietly? <laughs> you know, it usually goes with disengaged uh, people uh, yes. or, or employees where you see something wrong or that is not working and you just say, I don't care, that's not my problem. I'm going to do it and I'm going to wait everyone to yep. realize this was wrong. Right. And three and months later, you say, ha, huh, I told you so. And that's to no one's benefit, basically. No one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I kind of have also an example from my actual personal yeah, yeah, last year. Ahead. When I, I started at Wikimedia, uh, there was a, a lot of talks about transparency mm -hmm. and about the lack of transparency. And when I joined, I actually realized that I don't value transparency as much as I, I like. It's not high up on my list as opposed to trust. And I realized that just because people always challenged me or other managers, for example, about lack of transparency and thinking something is going on in the background. I realized that when you have trust, you, you basically can, I can come to the two of you and say, um, this is the decision we've made and we've made it according to those things. And I am actually super transparent. But if you don't trust me, you're like, first of all, I don't know if that, that like the fact that they, like they claim that the decision they made, it's really true. Or the other way around, it's like, there are some crazy shenanigans in the background and they probably didn't think about those things. But when you have, when you like, so you can technically 
if you value transparency but you don't have trust, it doesn't matter how transparent you are, people will always assume there's something else. So I think so they challenged they said they challenged one thing, but basically they told you something else. I, I mean for me as a manager, yeah. so I, I, if I send a message out to my team or my teams, And I'm, even if I'm open completely, if they don't trust that I'm open, it doesn't matter if I tell them 100% of everything, they will still assume something is missing. And on the other way around, if they trust me, they, they're perfectly fine that I wouldn't share everything because I don't need to b- overburden them with information because they know that I'm making my decisions according to, like, because I care about their goal or our goal or communal goal. So, yeah, and that was a big thing. cultural change that we are still working on but um, for some I don't know magical reason improved in the last year um, magical reason I can see the reason <laughs> uh, no, I, no but I'm, building I'm, trust is, is difficult it's yeah. difficult and, and it comes transparency for me is a tool to build trust and not the other way around mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I'm actually interested to, to hear from you what you think about the story like what do you see in that story uh, yeah definitely and I think back to the the question which is uh one yep. of the challenges with a with a bottom-up approach is that mm-hmm. if you don't have trust or transparency then either the bottom-up approach will fail because people won't challenge the values that the company define which so we want them to top, uh, we want them to challenge it yes it okay it's to be challenged because in the end that's how you end up with the the best thing if you don't challenge assumptions mm-hmm. uh, then you usually get them wrong uh But so if you have a bottom-up approach and the team doesn't trust the leadership, then it is going to be a bottom-up but top-down approach. Mm-hmm. And people are going to feel like a bit stolen, like there won't be any buy-in into the values. And in mm-hmm. the end, that will not help the original goal, which is encourage specific behaviors. Yeah. Like one of the way Charles O'Reilly defines culture when he talks about it is um, uh, culture is behaviors that you reward and punish. And mm-hmm. you want to encourage some of them and you want to discourage some others. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. yeah. Then what would be the value? So I've been in a several companies, all small and huge, actually tiny and huge, mm-hmm. that both um, had this values workshop. I don't know, according to what model, maybe it wasn't done properly or something. Yeah. But it raises the question for me, like, if this is uh, behaviors that already exist and you want to reinforce them or make them transparent so, or... clear so yeah. people know what we're working accord uh according to then actually is the doing it in a workshop with everyone or including everyone is to challenge or to only get a buy-in or just to communicate it because mm-hmm. it is coming from one direction and not yeah. the other or am i not understanding no, this? You're, you're right yeah, and okay. i think one of the main points uh that could be achieved in these workshops is usually to get alignment uh That's one of the things mm-hmm. that the, the study from Charles O'Reilly reveals is in order for uh, a culture to be correctly managed, you need your team to be aligned and focused on one or two specific norms mm-hmm. and then diverse on everything else. Um, so one of the goals of the workshop would be to really work and align everyone either on understanding and getting input from uh, uh, The leadership would get input input from the team on what they believe is important mm-hmm. if you have people who are facing customers every day and the leadership is not so much uh, customer facing because the company is very large then you might really want to get uh, what in their from their point of view is important for the business to be successful mm-hmm. uh, and so it needs to be this sort of alignment and bridge between top level uh, decision and bottom up but that would be the goal of a workshop mm-hmm. now the There are different things that influence how norms and behavior change in uh, organization. 
usually that is uh, people and structures. So people is um, your colleagues, your management, uh, also yourself, uh, and structures are uh, rituals that you have in a company. Uh, say, for example, if you feel that a team is not customer-oriented enough, then you can have a ritual where they jump on the call with a customer mm -hmm. or with a salesperson or with a customer support, and they listen to it uh, at least once a week. Mm -hmm. That will drive customer orientation in the team. If your team is not um, adaptable enough, then you can have a ritual to ship something every week instead of every two weeks mm -hmm. or... Uh, have stand-ups and so on. So rituals are things that you already do in that company, but yes. you can also change them. Or you can also change and introduce new rituals that will influence specific right. um, values or behavior. Is checking email like every five minutes also a ritual? <laughs> It can be. Just to understand. So what you're trying to say is basically processes are there to support cultural change and not to create rules for some reasons? No, I think it can be both. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have, yes... Um, certain rituals or processes will have an impact on behavior. Mm -hmm. um, for example, if you focus everything in your organization about hitting targets, you're going to build a very result-oriented uh, culture. Yeah. Um, and where people come into play is that, let's say you have a one-on-one -on -one with your manager every week, whether you talk about that one-on-one, -on -one, about what are the communications the person has, um, communication problems the person has with the team, you're going to create a culture around collaboration. Um, if in the one-on-one -on -one you only discuss about the milestones that were hit and missed, then you're going to focus the culture uh, and uh, encourage mm -hmm. behaviors around uh, result orientation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where people and structures come into play. You need to have structures and ritual that can encourage, uh, reinforce certain behaviors over time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, people also play a big role in that. Right, mm -hmm. so the alignment is super important because it actually should guide your your own personal behaviors in all yeah. those private situations, right? Yeah. When you have to make a decision either with your manager what to talk about or how you uh, construct your day. Even. Yes, exactly, and this is why it's it's really hard to get to get right because if it's only a, a top down approach where we say, oh. Now we need to be result-oriented. And mm -hmm. uh, middle management disagrees and say, no, um, uh, collaboration is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, then the middle management is not going to uh, necessarily transfer to the team what the top leadership is expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where communication starts to break and like trust is also lost because as an employee, if your middle manager is focusing only on collaboration... And whenever you have an all-hands meeting, all you hear is about results. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to say, I trust my middle management, but not my leadership. Yeah. Or the other way around. Uh, and this is where sense. people start to be disengaged. And then you start to lose psychological safety and everything like, right. crumbles. So this is why it's really important, I guess, to understand this uh, from anyone's perspective in the organization. And maybe if you kind of understand what's happening in front of you, yeah. then you can... Uh, be a bit more open to that, maybe ask more questions, bring some practices. But I, I'm super interested because you said, so there is a science to it. Yes. So <laughs> like that to save the day, because it, it can sound a bit discouraging. I mean, this it's very complex and it affects everything basically mm -hmm. that yeah. happens within a company. Um, so yeah, take us through. So how can we deal with that? Um, so usually psychology is, that was surprising to me when I first joined uh, bunch uh, but it's actually very data driven i thought it was very like qualitative analysis of how mm -hmm. people speak and behave 
but it's very often data driven with a very scientific approach to measuring things mm-hmm. using control variables, a lot of statistics and math. And this is why we're using AI at Bunch because um, essentially the way culture is, has been managed for the past years is with surveys. And you can have very specific ways to measure, for example, with the O'Reilly model, um, we have a product that uses a survey, which is 30 questions, mm-hmm. that basically asks you to choose one over the other. So you will be presented a question, which is, uh, pick what describes best how you work in a team. And you will have two choices. Uh, I put the customer first, or I do the right thing. Right. And it's hard. It's called like, ipsative testing is the, the scientific term. Yeah. We'll but add some links. It forces you to prioritize one thing over another. And that's a very good way to measure it because... In a real-life situation, when you're about to make a decision, right. say a sentence on the phone or sign or refuse a contract, then you're going to have to make that choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a very good way to measure culture. Um, and for some organizations, it works. Um, but for some, it's not really applicable. You cannot send a survey every month to uh, 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. That, that's just too much. Yes. People already have too many surveys with engagements. Yeah. Uh, and so what we're trying to do at Bunch is essentially uh, train machine learning models that can measure the same behavior with the same accuracy, if not better, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can basically have an overview of how your culture is changing over time mm-hmm. uh, without having to do surveys. And that can basically enable you to uh, make data-driven decisions around these topics. Yeah. So we wouldn't want to replace your decision-making, but we want to give a tool so that uh, culture is not that fuzzy thing anymore, right. but it's something you actually measure, track, and manage. So you're at the end confronted with some information that you know is to be true yeah. based on research and based on the answers of people. So you have, let's pretend like statements in front of you that kind of represent what is happening in your company, and then a person can still make a decision based on that. Yes, exactly. So it's very much to be informed. Yeah. Okay. And one of the biggest challenges we have seen when working with this is not necessarily the measuring culture. That's something we actually achieved quite quickly and like with some problems, but not Interesting. that much. Yeah. The <laughs> biggest challenge we have is always around education awareness mm-hmm. and helping organizations decide what should be their focus. Um mm. Because that's the most controversial part. Hmm. And there needs to be a lot of education. And even things like customer orientation, result orientation, that is very easy to misinterpret because there are still very vague concepts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we see is we need to really guide people into uh, basically selecting specific behaviors and then relate these behaviors to the cultural norms and then help them with this process to define what should be the target. Did you happen to have a situation where uh, you, I mean, you have that information and then you give it to, I guess, a manager or someone who decides the fate of like the future of this and their personality is in conflict with that information? Um, Not that I recall of, um, but I've definitely seen um, different teams uh, being very challenged on uh, this is wrong uh, and like very hard to align. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you're trying to help them or in a workshop, then you're sort of sitting in the middle and you say, this is a tough conversation to have uh, between a leadership team. Yeah. Right. Uh, but if you scale it to a large organization of 5,000 people, it's even worse. Yeah. Um, well, so, maybe yeah. you can tell us like a short story about this, like from the inside, because it's very interesting to hear. So you sit in that kind of workshop and there are 
there is information or some kind of guidance to where, where this should go. Uh, and then one team comes and challenges and says, that's not who we are, or that's not how we want to work, and then what? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's not even within a workshop. We also have it at Bunch. We uh, basically need to understand ourselves as a company, what we need to do in order to mm-hmm. like be successful. And I think... Try it firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Do you eat your own dog food Yes, Bunch? Yeah, That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah. For a very long time. For those who don't know the term, <laughs> it means that Bunch are using their own tools on themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by that Microsoft guy. I don't remember the name. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, essentially, we know we need to be customer-oriented because uh, we are dealing with very sensitive topics, psychology, so mm-hmm. we need to be able to emphasize with our customers. And it's all about understanding their problems and not uh, bringing our product and say, this is what you need. Uh, right. And for us, it really needs to be the other way around. That's and then we need to be adaptable because we're a startup, so we're pivoting every month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so if you're not adaptable, uh, it's going to be really hard to bring, for example, uh, an engineer that needs a six-month roadmap and uh, work on a sprint of two weeks without interruptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, our sprints are basically one hour, and then changes happen. Uh, and then we also need to be result-oriented because <laughs> otherwise we just won't survive as a company. And so these are always the norms that uh, uh, basically we struggle a bit upon because depending on the situation, we might need to be very result-oriented for a period of time and then switch back to customer orientation and so on. And this is where within the team we have uh, conflicts, healthy conflicts, mm-hmm. uh, but where we really challenge what should be the priority now. Uh, because when we're doing some research sprints uh, or some design thinking, then customer orientation should most likely come up the most. Uh, and when we figure out what we want to build, then we need to go into execution mode, and there it's going to be result orientation. And we need to kill adaptability because otherwise the scope is going to change and mm-hmm. we're never going to get things shipped in time. Um, so it's always very tricky and... Um, I think in the startup, it changes a lot for a company that's a bit more established and you have a longer vision and products in place. Mm-hmm. You found your markets. Uh, you have product market fit. Hooray. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then it's maybe easy, it, it, it's easier than to focus a specific long-term thing that's going to make you successful. So you have tried this uh, framework on yourselves and yeah. what, the, what the one we the one we keep always is going to be customer orientation that's the the one thing we cannot lose uh, aside from mm-hmm. um, for us and then we need to basically variate on the other uh, mm-hmm. on the other ones and you just change your rituals to adapt to the new yes. state of mind yeah for example now instead of doing stand-ups every day we do stand-ups uh, every two days uh, because we have less needs of uh, we're doing we're on the research phase so we mm-hmm. collaborate a lot and we are always uh, working with each other. So we don't need to share information and we necessarily don't execute all that many different things mm-hmm. so that we need a daily synchronization. Yeah. Uh, so we do change these things. But that, that, that's part of like you're still always adaptable as well. Because yes. if your processes adapt all the time, then yes. this, this remains like another part of the, the norms, right? Uh, the values. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, super interesting. I was wondering because... We talked about bottom-up approach, and I have, I have my own story about how a bottom-up approach didn't work for me at the company that you know, Charles, as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I was one of the people trying to push the concept of cultural change from within the engineering team. It was uh, the team, like middle manager there. 
Um, and it didn't, we never were able to do that. I think the engineers in that organization had a very specific culture that didn't mesh with the entire of the, like the entirety of the company. Mm -hmm. And because, but it never kind of, we were never able to like break apart those pieces because also our engineering higher echelons managers weren't aligned with ourselves as well, like with ours, with us. And I was trying to think about because top down feels very much like an approach that is very abrasive and, and maybe even offensive to people because it feels like, oh, whatever you're doing is wrong and now you need to adjust and then like middle managers and basically the the, the working people, like the worker bees, they, they feel like, oh, now I need to adjust myself to whatever yeah. other norms. Is there a middle out solution like where culture is changed from the middle layer, like literally from middle management mm-hmm. up and down at the same time? Yeah. Just before you answer, I just want to like add something because it's interesting what you're saying and uh, maybe it comes from our different roles. But I find that, well, if there is trust and there is collaboration and you are listening to your team and you know their behaviors and ups and downs and, you know, uh, it does make sense to me, maybe from my position, that some of these, not decisions, but uh, guides or guidelines would come t- from the top down because sometimes you have t- a different perspective of things and you say, all right, so these are the daily behaviors that get us somewhere, but they get us somewhere because this is the goal. The goal is to deliver or a high quality or something else. And th- those support the goal or you want to make sure they are. And Sometimes when you have small teams and they have their own culture, it it works because it works for them. It doesn't mean to me that it needs necessarily to spread all around because HR behaves in a certain way and customer care behaves in a certain way. Engineering behaves in a certain way. And it it doesn't mean like that the value within that team has to be spread to, to everyone oh, no. else. And from, from not the top, but from a different perspective, you kind of see the different behaviors that you have and what you need to align on. I think maybe, so I'll just clarify a little bit. I, I see culture as a, something that's tied in, like insanely tied into OKRs, which is objective key results for those who don't know yet. And for me, if one of the objective key results of an organization, or if you do KPIs, which is key performance indicators, doesn't matter really, similar approaches. Something if, that drives in the same direction. Basically. Something that drives in the same direction. So if we decide that one of our goals for the year is to have, I don't know, um, retention of customers because we like increase retention of customers because people are leaving. So we are going to be very customer oriented. So the value has to be kind of aligned to that. So this is actually where I think objective objectives trickling down from management is perfectly fine, but culture, but it can't be that both things kind of go from management. I mean, management can come and say from now on, all the teams have to be customer oriented they need to be able to allow the system to kind of shape according to the goals of course when you when you look at things like from a holistic point of view you're not supposed to tell a person in a team exactly what they should do you should make the vision quite clear what you're working towards so the moving parts can adjust themselves however it's even with okrs even that framework talks about bottom up and top down and it's supposed to be both ways so the company or like the the leaders in the company kind of set the objectives and it you can review it and then from the the bottom up you can challenge it or affect it and then it's uh, set to the next quarter or more and even that doesn't necessarily happen that way and of course 
from a practical reason. So I've, I've tried it in several companies and sometimes you try, so you bring the objectives like for management and even when you allow to challenge it and you enable it and you say, all right, everyone, whether it's like a small company or a big one, just let's challenge it so we can get to an agreement. It's very, very difficult. And sometimes people are, I mean, I, when there is trust or sometimes when there's a complete distrust, they're like, just tell us what the objective are and, and then we can define our key results from, uh, for yeah. our team. Yeah. So this is already complex enough, even when you do try to integrate that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's... I, I'm really looking yeah, forward to I'm, hearing your I perspective on this. <laughs> I think OKRs is, a, is an interesting thing to bring up because um, it's really that um, aligning people around uh, objectives and it's definitely one of the rituals that will influence the culture you have uh, in your company depending on the objectives and the key results that you want to measure. Um, if you want, like, if one of the um, objective is to hit a uh, Series A or a next round of funding, and then the key results that you define that's going to get you there uh, will very much influence uh, the behaviors in the team. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting part in the uh, halfway between top-down and bottom-up with OKRs is that you have uh, objectives set by the leadership team and then usually key results working uh, by the middle management uh, and their teams and the initiatives coming from the team. So it's like really this... Uh, coming uh, from both directions. Yeah, coming yeah. from both directions where it can get tricky is if the middle management doesn't necessarily understand mm -hmm. uh, what are the, nor the, the, the cultural objective that the leadership team is very often implying because it's not an explicit thing. Right. It's very hard. Like one of the things I said earlier, culture is often defined by anecdotes. So yeah. mm -hmm. trying to put them into very specific targets uh, is usually where things get lost. Yeah. And as you add man middle management layers, then one of the things that fails is um, the cultural norms change. So you have yeah. an inversion of, of power uh, from the leadership to the middle management. And then the target gets lost, and then the initiatives don't go in the same uh, direction. And then you have misalignment, and then people work really hard mm -hmm. to deliver. And the feedback from the leadership is, but that's not what we needed. Right. Yeah. And that, that's very discouraging when it happens. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think, so the way that I'm trying to actually kind of, um, I don't know, at least from my experience, which is not, uh, my experience is just my experience, I guess. What works well for me is the separation of KPIs and OKRs. So a company or an organization defines KPI, but then it's broken down to OKRs. So the teams, they, they know what the KPI is because it's just that one thing, that the key performance indicator for whatever, year yeah. two, three. And then it's broken down to objective key result per team that has to build up to the OKR. And I think for... I, I wouldn't... I so don't know. Am KPI I KPI that is leading objectives and curiosity? Yes. Yes. Or uh, is it done according to? Okay. Yeah. I, I think some organizations are doing it the opposite, but the, the idea is, is to, to create a separate. Yeah. Some, some are only doing OKRs. Some are only doing KPIs. Some are mixing some. There are other methods as well, like SMART or other things like that. But um, I think the most interesting thing for me is that the separation works because then you understand the difference between upper management and what they want to achieve and also how middle management are translating that into um, day to day. And for me as a, I don't know, semi-middle management, upper management, somewhere in the yeah. middle, as a person who's managing the engineering managers, I, I've started to think about, and I think something super important for me right now is maybe to start doing skip-level one-on-ones. 
because I, I realize that information now will probably be kind of lost. If I'm only having one-on-ones with my, my engineering managers, for example, I don't understand, I get their perspective and their objective key results are actually shared by their perspective. But with, again, with trust, you have to build this really trusting system with your engineering managers or the people you're managing to have a one-on-one skip level. You're basically saying, once a quarter, I'm going to have a meeting with your team members without you in there. So you kind of have to have this really good trusting relationship with your people you're managing to actually achieve that, which is tricky and, and not super easy. Yeah, I don't think it's only trust because I also have been reading a little bit late, uh, lately about, um, uh, I read an article that talked about like, invest in your middle management Definitely. so uh, so they can communicate the strategy forward yes. because usually it stops there and i wonder i mean it sounds like a good solution to to talk to the team directly once a, i don't know a month a quarter whatever Quarter-ing, yeah, exactly. but it's also about then training uh, right there yep. the, the managers that you manage to do it properly yeah so when i was leading yeah. a team I, I knew who are the people in it's my easier, team. it's easier because it's direct well it's basically the same though because when i was leading a team i knew who are the people in my team that i can just i could let them spread my ideas in the team right and it's it's easier now because i have engineering managers i know that they are the people that i need to so i know who are my go-to people without even needing to define that within having a new team of eight people and i'm i need to ask myself who are my two, three people that I know can share an idea? By having three engineering managers currently, I can I know that they are the people. And as long as I, I apply lean management and I explain all the reasoning of why we're doing something and what's the motivation, and I basically and and we have a trusting relationship with one another that they trust that the information I give them is the right information and I'm not hiding anything or some yeah, shenanigans are happening. Then yeah. But it they happens. need to be qualified in the sense that they know how to translate or what to do with that. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's an interesting point. What we have seen and are working on now is actually delivering something, um, a product to the leadership team so that they can then send recommendations to specific management, uh, middle management in teams to uh, educate mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen is the the de- leadership or management development programs today are kind of broke. Um, you have to go on a seminar for five days. You don't wow. buy into it and like no one really trusts it. And modern organizations are not even doing this. And most often what happens is someone who is, for example, in engineering, a developer, is going to be promoted to being a manager because they have very good potential to manage yeah. a team. But hopefully, are not, hopefully <laughs> yeah, but are not necessarily educated on uh, topics such as culture. Like, yeah. what yeah. I was saying is, I had to dig into white papers and read these things, which is very scientific and like it's not easy to read. And then complex concepts like psychological safety, uh, um, trust, uh, challenge in the team. This is not something you know, and we cannot uh, ask everyone to read these books and learn mm-hmm. about it that's not realistic yeah we have to face like this is what happens today and how can we influence right. it and so one of the things we have seen that is one of the most inf- impactful things we can deliver is actually helping pinpoint what problems uh, specific teams have and what could be easy recommendations to give on how to solve these problems um so like the, whether the, it should be rituals or spending time on something? Yes, so giving recommendations or maybe you should try this or uh, here's ah. a chapter from this book that you could read and ah, so it's you very might relate to it. It's like very targeted yeah. because yeah. if you take a scientific cool. approach to it, then there are behaviors that we can measure 
that mm-hmm. are usually symptoms from something that always relate uh, back to a specific psychological problem. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of this that we can diagnose that we see very often, like the team not being engaged, uh, people leaving early when there's a lot of work to be done, mm-hmm. uh, people pulling in different directions, um, having politics that come up. These are all things that we already know today um, mm-hmm. what's causing them. It's like there's a three-layer onion where you have usually the top layer is performances, things that you really perceive that impact the bottom line. And then beneath that, you have a layer uh, of things like engagement Mm -hmm. and uh, employee happiness and these things. Mm -hmm. And what is actually driving all of this is usually uh, alignment on norms and values. And if you fix, uh, if we are able to diagnose the top layer and we know how to fix it using the bottom layer, Mm -hmm. then we can give recommendations and try to influence that. Uh, But it's a very complex thing and... For us, it really needs to be uh, that translation of complex uh, concepts into behaviors and recommendations. That's right. the hardest part. And I guess if I would have been just, a, a, I think I'm very lucky to work at Bunch because I'm learning a lot about uh, management, culture, and all these topics. But mm-hmm. I could also picture myself just working in a other company where this would not have happened. And I yep. will, I would have most likely ended up on a management track Mm-hmm. And I would be doing a terrible job. And even now, I'm not doing a great job, but I know how bad I would be mm-hmm. uh, yeah. without yeah. this. And like this is something we are right. really focusing on. And uh, yeah. a lot of consulting is also going there. Uh, uh, BCG and Deloitte, whenever they have this consultancy about these programs, uh, it usually involves a lot of middle management education. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, um, I think I said it in the last episode. Middle man, like promotion air quoting to being a manager is not a promotion it's a paradigm shift it's a role change yeah Yeah. so you're a new manager when you come to a management role exactly so this is something I always I try to tell new engineering managers like we we, it's like you would now from a developer become a DBA you need to actually learn the traits right so this is something that you need to now start figuring out what you need to do to be a manager and understand how to how to use human beings as your 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 basic um I don't know how, how to say it in non kind of terrible to help managing. people be yeah. better. Exactly, together. yeah. I guess w- what uh, it reminds me a lot is that uh, where um, the appreciation or the search after soft, kil- soft skills is going mm-hmm. because it's also something that feels like you can't really measure. It's something you either have or don't have. But in this age, it's being more and more recognized exactly along with yeah. AI being developed that these are the things that AI will maybe could not replace so this uh social understanding um which now i understand actually maybe some of the analysis can definitely take place in an eye in a very accurate way that is less biased which uh, like than a person but uh just like soft skills this psychological safety those are things that humans can actually uh, transfer to other humans, but they have to be educated about, yeah. which is what well, you also said just before we started recording. You said, you know, it's uh, once you dive into this, it's amazing and so easy to um, do something about it, but it's hard to it's comprehend hard. this entire. Yeah. yeah, there's so much information you have to take in until you actually understand what actionable things you can do. And I, I maybe to my understanding, what your company and your product is trying to do is to make this very. Uh, approachable yes and on the on the go so 
you say, okay, this is what we recognize as a problem and we know it for sure because it's based on scientific data, which doesn't take away from you being human. It just helps the analysis. And now in order to take those actions, here's the specific things you need to read and not just go into like a complete, like a whole week and then forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's one of the things that was driving Daria, our uh, uh, CEO to initially start the company. She was doing consulting on this topic, um, she's psychology, uh, uh, psychologian background, mm-hmm. and basically she was just doing the same things over and over again, and she was starting to realize there must be some way to improve this because mm-hmm. everything is out there. It's like in the papers for twenty years, and there's just a very small amount of people who actually understand it, mm-hmm. who go through MBA and have like do an MBA with Charles O'Reilly, for mm-hmm. example. Then you know about it. Can do a can go to Harvard and work with uh, Amy Edmondson, and then you would know about psychological safety. She invented it, the the term, and she writes the books mm-hmm. about it. Uh, but it's a very small amount of people who actually have access to that information, compared to like the number of people who actually need to use that information. Right. And that was like infuriating and frustrating to really see this. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, originally uh, started the company. Uh, and even the uh, what you mentioned about uh, soft skills being more and more important about uh, hiring, there is definitely a shift that we've seen. Uh, we've decided to not go into the hiring um, space as a business, mm-hmm. uh, but we did some things where we can, for example, uh, either send an assessment to a candidate and then you would know about how they would shape the team mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes you want to hire for culture fit uh, <laughs> when you have a team that's very performing and you really hit the goal and yeah. you want to keep that running and sometimes you want to hire for culture ad where you want to bring someone who's going to change specific behaviors in the team and if you have a scientific tool to measure this that's uh, amazing. that you build on top of the interviews then this is basically the first product we did with an assessment yeah uh, but you can also do it with ai um, so yeah. from a linkedin profile you can measure these things yeah um that's amazing. And so, so that that's definitely some of the things that are coming and that will change I think in the next couple of years. Yeah. Just to to kind of note for anyone who's listening we don't have any share in this. It's just uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I keep saying amazing but I I find that if you find a tool that is as helpful as that can be <laughs> then yeah, why, there's, why there's not many use others it? out there. Uh, yeah. um, not necessarily that work with the same model that we have but have uh, different approaches to culture and defining mm-hmm. what you want for your team and so on. Well, maybe you can give us some links and we can post that. In yeah, the, yeah, 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 I will definitely. That would be great. All right, and, well. And there are also like internal things that some organization actually did. Like Medium, for example, they shared their career growth. Uh, the snowflake thing? The snowflake. Yeah. Well, that is great. Which is like it's their way to self-assess and also give an assessment and give a 360 overview about their engineering team or basically yeah. I think I think it's for, only for engineers, right? I'm not sure. But well, you can take it and you translate can take it to something else. I saw like other organizations. Yeah, it's open source. Yeah. Uh, we we actually use it as well at uh, Wikimedia, and uh, yeah, it's 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 actually really cool because it it kind of spotlights as well what other tools and skill sets people bring into to the table. So, 
a senior a senior developer nowadays doesn't have to be the most technical technically skilled person yeah. in the team but it's a person that actually for example has really good communication skills and, and can convince a team why something is good or bad or talk to the product owner or talk to the product <laughs> owner or all those things combined so you can be a generalist now and not just like a specialist and those things are actually creating this full picture it's not it's not It's kind of not the cultural part I think that drove it for medium it was more the the growth of where you can grow but yeah. um, but, but it, it actually shows gaps or if you have full skills yeah or you need or you need one and once you're aggregated that's where you get more in- mm. interesting information at least that's my experience at Wikimedia it's like when you see the full picture of all the snowflakes one on top of the other you understand oh maybe what we need is someone that is more project management in the next position because yeah. that's something we don't have in the team and we feel that as well so it just kind of validates your feelings but it, yeah it's amazing because there these tools exist but I I find that sometimes you even if you bring it into your own company uh, it's the agreement of the what skills should it be what are the details that should be defined there how do we measure something is that is so hard to agree on and you have no idea where to start and it sounds like that if you have some knowledge base based on a survey that is not hard to mm-hmm. I guess do yeah. <laughs> uh, then you can have more information to base this on instead of like just sitting there like holding your head saying how do we start <laughs> here yeah. and and that is something we've seen I think mostly in the US um, who have like a slightly different approach to data driven analysis of these things mm-hmm. uh, but there's a trend that is basically transforming HR from operational to strategic and one of the main goals they have is this dynamic capabilities mapping mm-hmm. which is exactly what you described Raz it's understanding what capabilities does a need uh, does a team need and mm-hmm. how to fill them and what would be the best position and then from an HR perspective their goal is to map these capabilities to strategy of the organization mm-hmm. which is why it goes from operational HR to signing contracts right. to strategic HR because it plays a big role in defining how to build a talent pipeline uh, you need skills hard skills but most importantly you need to fill these capabilities that your organization yeah. needs mm-hmm. and these change all the time whether you're a hundred or people organization or 150 or whether you're a large organization going through M&A Like these are really difficult times where things are changing really fast. And if you don't have um, a method, at least, to approach these kind of things, um, then it's easy to get them lost and get them wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's something that's also being developed right now, either through consulting or through different tools. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something we're also exploring. Yeah. Um, Super interesting. Yeah. All right, so Raz, we actually had some a couple, we had a couple of questions from uh, our listeners that yeah. were expecting this episode. So. Let's, let's ask, ask yeah. Charles. So I'm not going to name names. Um, <laughs> we basically have, well, three questions, I guess. And I think uh, let's start with the first one. Um, came from one of our listeners here in Germany. How AI will affect organizational culture, Charles? Yeah. Uh, good question. I think fits quite well what we do at Bunch. Uh, but basically where AI is starting to really change things is that we are starting to realize now that we have very... Um, solid ways to measure behavior, culture, and put these fuzzy things into uh, data so we can move away from doing gut-feeling decision or biased decisions to having a more data-driven approach while still like using our own human skills to make this call. Um, the other big change that we see with AI is um, basically removing the need for surveys that you can only do once or twice a year 
And the problem it has with it is if you do a survey, then usually you have a couple of months to analyze and interpret the results. Mm -hmm. And then you can give recommendations on this, but it's already too late because yeah. things have changed. Yep. Uh, so the real-time feedback analysis and uh, like diagnosing, this is something that AI can enable. Uh, and yeah, I think the other thing is removing bias. Like some AIs are very biased uh, when it comes to uh, mostly unsupervised things like f detecting face or uh, predicting age of a person based on a picture. You basically mm -hmm. let the AI uh, pick up all signals on its own. Um, the way it works with uh, psychology surveys, for example, is we supervise the AI. So the AI cannot pick up that, mm -hmm. uh, for example, female or less result-oriented than male mm -hmm. because it doesn't even have that information. Mm -hmm. And this is where we can actually use AI to debias the way we work or um, evolve in the society. Interesting. Um, it needs to be very, like, we're very careful about this. We're actually setting up an ethics council and uh, all sorts of other things. But there are very specific ways to make sure AI is improving bias instead of adding more. And I think this can change a lot of things in uh, organizational culture, uh, mm -hmm. but also other topics. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's lovely. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's very responsible. There is like the, this whole conversation of whether uh, technical tech solution or AI is yeah. whether they're socially responsible or not. And it's good to know that you're taking the approach that is more responsible and making sure for yeah. a better future <laughs> and not the other way around. Because it's really easy. Uh, like even for like a gender bias it if uh data is perceived like when you analyze text yeah. and it looks like women are like less uh result oriented or something mm -hmm. like that because they were taught to present themselves in in some ways but if you yeah. strip that down into looking at the results or the qualitative information that is yeah. presented then y you can really compare and like avoid that bias is this what you're yeah, yeah exactly okay. awesome question number two is talking about organizational culture a trend of the last few years, and is it here to stay? Um, so I would say that there's a lot of awareness building right now on the topic, uh, but it's been uh, in academia for years and years. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of research. It's just now emerging for some reason. I think mostly because um, millennials have different expectations, something I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, people don't just pick a job now because it has a higher pay. Uh, they pick a job because uh, it has a purpose for them, uh, because they believe in the company's value, because it is, has a social impact or it goes into the way they want to impact the world. Mm -hmm. And so that basically changes everything for organizations because it's not just about benefits. It's about managing these things. And yeah. um, organizational culture is definitely one way to help with that because if you can communicate clearly to someone you're interviewing um, what is the focus on the culture that you have in your company mm -hmm. then you have a much higher chance to convince that person to join you and stay mm -hmm. and, yeah, <laughs> and stay and if you're in the US and you're competing with Amazon Facebook and Google to hire people mm -hmm. they have double salary then this is what you can compete on yeah. right. uh, and so this is why it's becoming now even more and more relevant because companies realize this is something they can influence. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even if you're not a tech giant or you have to look like 20 True. times more money, this is your competitive advantage. Yeah. I guess yeah. in this day and age, if you're not, well, you are not married to your job like it was in our parents' yeah. uh, generation where you 
went and you picked one spot and you stayed there for like 20 years for your mortgage and stability and you didn't exactly. move around a lot now there are lots of opportunities there are yeah. headhunting you and you also people leave jobs because uh maybe well it can be perceived in different ways but if they're not happy yeah so yeah. this is a already a good reason to to leave a job in our generation it's no longer a taboo to to leave yeah. a job every x amount of years it's actually the norm now yeah or for except i don't know my our parents for example for them if you like bounce around and you're not it's hard you don't to have stable yeah people would look at that as, as a weird thing yeah yeah and um just by the way i think that's also the currency we have at wikimedia for example because we are an ngo we don't we can't pay like Yeah. Uh, Zalando here in, in Berlin or uh, all the other companies but what we do have is at least we have our, our values and our vision and it's laid out there so when we have an interview and we basically lay those w to a candidate and also say and we pay 30% less than whatever you'll get at yeah. somewhere else we somehow still are able to hire people yeah and that um, defines uh, defies the norm I guess the norm of, of yeah, we should pay salary. double to get someone yeah. but Well, yeah, for it's true for some cases, right? Like yeah, yeah, of course. We can't just say that all people but it. But it looks like it. people are also choosing based on like what type of culture this company has. Exactly. It matters more and more. And one easy way to look at these trends is to follow the Stack Overflow survey that they do every year on yes. developers. And you can see that the benefits and pay is moving down uh, yeah. further. The, like, what's the top benefits or what you look for in a company when right. you join? So question number three. Yeah. Um, okay. As a CEO, not myself, the, the person who's asking the question, why should I care about organizational culture and not on strategy, for example? Um, yeah. So I think the, the question is, um, you should care about both, uh, is what I would say, because they go together. Strategy is your plan and culture is how it's going to be executed. Mm -hmm. If you have strategy but miss the culture part, then it's never going to work. Or it might work short term, uh, but it's going to fail in a couple of years. Um, there's very often a, a, an interesting dynamic that happens in organizations. Is when you have a company that goes to 50 people and then suddenly starts growing and need to double the team every mm -hmm. three months. Then you have a shift of uh, power where the founders uh, or the CEO is not in touch with the employees directly. Mm -hmm. And you have middle management that comes in. And this is where everything changes mm -hmm. uh, from as a CEO, I can top down control the execution to now I completely lose control and delegate that execution to the bottom up approach where people are yeah. going to execute and report to managers. And then I can only influence those managers. And this is where you need to get culture right. Uh, because very often that's what's causing the death of the company three years further down the road. Mm. Uh, is that skip that part on managing culture to keep strategy rolling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a good segue to kind of summarize this episode because that, that was also part of the summary. So, yeah, Charles, if you can just like basically help us summarize the ideas and mm -hmm. yeah. what Cause we discussed here. Because we talked about a yeah. lot of things and they're yeah. complex, so let's try to like boil it down to a few takeaways. Okay. <laughs> so if I have to boil it down, uh, organizational culture has ways to be measured It's not something you need to roll out on your own. You can use existing resources about it. Uh, it's definitely important for strategy. Uh, there's a lot of literature on it. The most accessible I have seen is often articles from the Harvard Business Review, 
Uh, so you can just Google uh, organizational culture or... We'll link uh, it to the, yeah. uh, the You can find a lot of articles on it. Um, and we have also open sourced uh, uh, on GitHub uh, our learnings on culture and mm -hmm. the things we use and understand. Uh, so if you want to find it, I think we'll also include it. In the yeah. So it's we'll actually be, open. We'll be also uh, yeah, we open source basically the models that we use, the learnings we've made, the mm -hmm. definition of terms that... Very we cool. understand and uh, have seen our customers understand as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we want to get as many people involved. Yeah, that's awesome. That will be also linked to the episode. So you can yeah. All right. So maybe my final question to all of our listeners that are kind of so listened to this and found this interesting and important. And they now say, where should I start? <laughs> you know, like, great. I'm going to like finish this episode. But what, what do I do next? What, what is the one thing I can do now? Um, I think the one thing I can do would be to read a bit uh, about the topic, to learn more, and try to find something that you can relate to, yeah. and then take a step back and do a bit of retrospective on, yeah. is culture something that could have played a role in experiences I enjoyed or uh, disliked in my life for the past year, mm -hmm. and try to understand what role does it plays in your life implicitly, and then trying to make this explicit. So basically to, to take your own experience and like think of an experience that was either good yes. or bad and try to see how culture might have caused, affected, or I yes, don't know. Yes, because it most likely has. Right. And and that is to understand the effect that it has and, and maybe pursue this a bit further. Yes, basically create some self-awareness on, I love this job, there's a reason why, and I hated this job, there's a reason why. Yeah. And, and some of these reasons can change. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or so you would know what to look for, I guess. Yeah, some self-reflection a little bit about whatever. Even I loved it up to a point, and then what happened after the point, and now I'm, I don't like it anymore. I even hate it. Yes. It's a more extreme example. Yeah, so a personal takeaway would be to understand, uh, the, I guess, the situation, but also what drives me or what do I look for in a culture? Yes, yes. In and one then, of those six, yeah. <laughs> and if you manage to go, or if you're looking for a job and you have a job interview, uh, if you manage to ask the right, the right questions about culture and make it explicit what you're looking for, hmm. the company will very often appreciate it. Even if you talk, if you have uh, interviews with the co-founders or uh, leadership, mm -hmm. they will actually appreciate if you bring these topics. It can be a bit sensitive sometimes, but uh, I think it's rather safe to discuss it, uh, and it will help a lot in finding like the place where you're going to be happy to work. Yeah. So to say, I'm more customer facing than result yes. oriented, or something like or that. I need to have a company that's aligned on my uh -huh. customer orientation. Yeah. Okay. And it can be completely okay if you have a very good job interview, but you realize yeah. that that's not the company where you're going to thrive because right. they just have a different need. Yeah. So you can try to, I guess, predict to some extent whether you'd yeah. be happy there and productive. Yeah. All right. Are we done then? I guess so. It's nice weather well, outside. Yeah, it was wonderful having you. Thank you yeah. so Thank much. You. I think we learned so much. <laughs> oh, and yes. I will definitely read more about this topic and dive a bit more into yeah. what the company is doing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm super intrigued. Yeah, actually, I'm using the LinkedIn extension Emma, and it's really awesome. So yeah, I tried yeah. it on my phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it also in the episode. Yeah. Like, I'll link it to the episode as well. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for thank having you, me. Yeah. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you for listening. It's awesome. Yeah. And find us on Twitter and on Facebook as usual. Yeah. And uh, if you want a uh, Tech Point Charlie pin, um, just 
ping us and we can uh, we can shoot yeah charles got one yeah yeah i have a load bye <laughs> <laughs> bye